Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Briefing Room on this Tuesday. I'm ABC's Devin Dwyer in our Washington Bureau with White House reporter Jordan Phelps. Great to have you with us, Jordan. Great a busy day, hopefully a shutdown averted. Uh, negotiators overnight on Capitol Hill coming to an agreement, announcing it this morning, actually holding back from telling the president some of the fine print while he had that campaign rally last night in El Paso, Texas. They didn't want him to be a spoiler. Jordan, he still may be because the president hasn't offered a definitive answer on whether he will sign this deal. Yeah, Devin. In fact, the president's saying he's not happy with the deal, but he's also not saying he's going to veto it. So he's not really showing his cards here what he's going to do. All right, let's break down for people what's in the border security deal that hopefully will avoid a government shutdown on Friday, uh, late Friday night. Here's what negotiators on both sides seem to have come up with. They uh, came up with just under $1.4 billion. Jordan, that would build 55 new miles of, of, of wall or barrier yeah, or what are we calling this? the president's going to get a little bit of the wall at least. He wants 200 miles so this is just about a quarter of that but it is new barrier which is significant but of course Devin uh, barrier has been built under past presidencies too so this isn't as if it's brand new. It bars it from being that sort of uh, wall that the president envisioned during the campaign. So they put trail, some terms so. on it. Can't be can't concrete. Exactly. Can't be those steel bollard uh, uh, barriers. Fence-like structures that you see here, but certainly a concession from Democrats supporting some new barrier if they go along with this. All right, the second point there, mm -hmm. Democrats also uh, have dropped their demands on these detention beds. They had wanted right. a limit on the number of beds for undocumented immigrants. Yeah, this sort of blew up on the Democrats yesterday. The Republicans saying that the Democrats wanted to let criminals loose onto the streets by putting this cap on there. Devin, a little fact check there. Of course, criminal illegal aliens go into prison, so it's not as if they're wandering the streets if they're not in custody, but the Republicans sort of won that battle. And there is funding for over 40,000 beds, we understand, in this agreement. Uh, here's what Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell had to say about it today after the smoke has cleared. Will this thing get a vote? Here's the majority leader. Last night, Chairman Shelby, Senator Leahy, and their counterparts in the House announced they breached an agreement in principle. Certainly good news. It provides new funds for miles of new border barriers, and it completes all seven outstanding appropriation bills so Congress can complete a funding process for all the outstanding parts of the federal government with predictability and with certainty. I know I speak for members on both sides of the aisle when I say we are grateful to our colleagues on the Appropriations Committee for their leadership. We're eager to see them complete this work all right, that's Mitch McConnell, about as enthusiastic as you will see him, uh, the Senate re re Republican leader there, looking like this thing will get a vote, so they will send it likely to President Trump. Uh, but again, we've been saying the big question is President Trump. He actually weighed in on it. That's right. The Mitch McConnell sounding optimistic. The president, not so much. Take a listen. I can tell you that uh, am I happy at first glance? I just got to see it. The answer is no, I'm not. I'm not happy. Uh, we certainly don't want to see a shutdown, but you'll be hearing fairly soon. Uh, the bottom line is on the wall, uh, we're building the wall, and we're using other methods other than this. And in addition to this, we have a lot of things going. All right, we're joined now by one of the negotiators on the conference committee who helped broker the compromise just in the nick of time overnight, Pete Aguilar, uh, Congressman Democrat of California. Great to see you, sir. Thanks for joining us here in the briefing room. Uh, Want to get your take on this. You had been an advocate for what you were calling an evidence-based uh, border security bill, a compromise. Does this meet that standard for you, and are you ready to sign on to it? 
Thanks for having me, Devin. Uh, this is something that, that I can support. Uh, and let me tell you why. This isn't what, uh, the bill that we would draw up, but we're, right now we are five months into this fiscal year. Uh, we have the potential for a government shutdown on Friday. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, we keep government open. Uh, Democrats know that. Democrats, that was what we were moving for um, uh, throughout these discussions was how do we avert a shutdown. Uh, we will start writing the next fiscal year's bill shortly. But in the meantime, we needed to make sure that we finish this. And that means that we had to work with Republicans to produce a bipartisan, bicameral bill. That's exactly what this does. It reflects our values, uh, and it's something that I'll be asking my colleagues to support. And so many Democrats, Speaker Pelosi, top among them, had been advocating, Congressman, for no wall, no barrier, absolutely not, zero. And yet this would seem to provide 55 new miles of construction of some sort of a steel barrier. You're comfortable with that? Well, let's be clear. The president campaigned on Mexico paying for a sea to shining seawall. This is not that. Um, Border Patrol and, and Border Security have, have shown us uh, their priorities. This is one segment, one area of their priorities that we feel is reasonable to move forward. Uh, but it has to be done in a way that isn't this, isn't this wall that the president campaigned on. Uh, so we're being smart on this. We're investing in technology and making sure that we're focused on the country's best interest and protecting our borders. There's been a lot of conversation in the past 24 hours, some of it prompted by the president, congressman, about uh, Democrats' demands to cap some of those uh, detention beds for immigrants and migrants coming across. Help us understand that. Bring us inside the room. Why uh, were Democrats asking for a limit on the number of beds that ICE uh, and uh, CBP could, could, could fund, basically? Sure, I'm not going to get into to the play-by-play the -play of the discussions, but I will tell you, you know, from the beginning, Democrats have said that these detention beds are incredibly difficult, and where there is need, uh, obviously for violent offenders and, indif and individuals who are going to be deported, we have no objection to that. We want to keep our country safe. But time and time again, what we have seen is ICE uh, use uh, budget authority that, that Congress has not given them. So this is about protecting our ability as a appropriators and as members of Congress as a co-equal branch of government to make sure that these agencies are living within the budgets that we give them. And time and time again, ICE has been moving and shifting and reprogramming funds um, in order to increase that bed count. And when they have capacity in those beds, what happens is they come into my community and other communities and they do uh, interior deportation raids and they scoop up individuals as they have done in my district uh, who are U.S. citizens or who are individuals who have no violent offenses. Uh, at all and that is problematic so what we have been clear from day one is that we want to make sure that ice honors the average daily population what we've been calling ADP count to to start to limit them to make sure they are living within their means um, uh, and that they are only spending the funds that we designate that is our role that is what the Constitution says uh, and so that's been our focus and, and, and Congressman, what does your gut tell you now about what the president will do here? Obviously, it's a question for the White House whether uh, President Trump will sign on to this. But um, having talked to some of your fellow Republicans, heard from representatives of the, of the White House, do you think that all those federal workers, some in your district and around the country, can truly breathe, breathe a sigh of relief here that a shutdown won't happen on Saturday morning? Well, they, they should be relieved because right now we have Democrats and Republicans in the House and Senate who have come to an agreement. 
uh, who are saying uh, in a unified way that we want to do anything we can to avoid a shutdown. And so if the president chooses to go down that route again, um, then, then that's on him. Our job, keep in mind, is not to make sure the president has the victory. Our job is to make sure the government is funded. And so that's what we've been focused on. That's exactly what this deal does. Uh, I'm proud to have been a part of it, and I'm appreciative of, of our leadership for allowing me to, uh, to play a role. And finally, sir, uh, before we let you go, uh, I want to ask you about what, would, what you think would happen or should happen if the president were to sign the deal, take the deal, but then also do some executive action to reappropriate, reapportion, reprogram some of the funds that Congress has allocated uh, in a certain way to help border security. One of the things being talked about at the White House, we know, is taking some disaster relief money from California, Puerto Rico, shifting it to building the wall. What, what will the reaction be from uh, you and your colleagues if the president undertakes that? The reaction should be swift and it should be bipartisan rebuke of what the administration is contemplating. Uh, every Republican should be upset if they start uh, taking disaster money uh, and money that is programmed for our districts and shifting it to something that, that, that Congress hasn't uh, authorized. Uh, that is executive overreach. Uh, I just I, I can't imagine what Republicans on the congressional House side would do if President Obama had had pro, uh, uh, had done this. Uh, what, so what we need to be consistent. Do you have? Are you able? Is are House Democrats able to sue sue the president over that? We'll look at every available uh, every available remedy that we have, including and up to the courts, obviously. But in the meantime, uh, every time the, these proposals are floated, uh, we should be having members of the administration come up to us as appropriators and to say exactly what they plan to do. Uh, we need to have oversight and transparency. I know congressional Republicans haven't provided that over the past few years, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but but the American people have spoken, and we're gonna we're gonna provide that transparency and oversight that is been much needed uh, to this administration. Congressman Pete Aguilar of California, Democrat member of the negotiating committee that brought us a deal overnight on border security funding. We hope it gets passed through and we don't have a shutdown, sir. Thanks very much for your time uh, and for joining us in the briefing room. Thanks, Devin. Uh, shifting gears now, Jordan, it is tax season. There are a lot of headlines out there about early tax filers uh, and some stunners. Millions of people talking on social media about the impact of the new Republican tax law, perhaps seeing a smaller uh, refund than perhaps they expected. Well, we're joined here now by uh, one of the experts in Washington, D.C. on all things taxes. Mark uh, Mazur is director of the Nonpartisan Tax Policy Center here in Washington, which is sort of the gold standard nonpartisan independent arbiter of what these tax laws mean. They are complicated. Mark, great to have you in here Happy with us. Here with um, so let's start with the big picture. As, as Americans look at their taxes, we're in the middle of the season. Most people, your group has found, will have experienced a tax cut because of the new law, but that won't necessarily translate to a refund and could mean a smaller refund. Help us understand that. Sure. So the Tax Policy Center did some analysis of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and we estimate that about 80% of taxpayers will get a tax cut, about 15% about the same, and 5% a tax increase. But that's different than a tax refund. That's the tax liability that's on your form before you put in how much is withheld and then figure out what your refund is. And economists like to focus on the tax liability and to see what happened to, to tax liability over the course of the year. That's the big picture. That's the big your, picture. Your bill at the end of the year. Exactly. But most taxpayers focus on the tax refund. And if you were to ask 100 taxpayers what's your tax liability, very few would be able to answer it. 
But if you were to ask 100 taxpayers, did you get a refund last year? Did you have to pay? Almost everyone. Everybody can knows that, and that's because federal withholdings, state withholdings, are sort of automatically taken out of paychecks, so you don't even really see the taxes. Especially if you have direct deposit. Exactly, as they go away. But um, it, it, Jordan, you've been looking into this as well. Uh, the IRS numbers out from last week, just the first beginning of the year, the refunds, early refunds, are down eight percent. So people aren't going to get those checks. Right, and, and the big question is, could this be problematic for? some people who are really counting on these refunds. Well, that's an important point. I think for a lot of taxpayers, getting a refund in the spring, February, March, April, that's perhaps the biggest financial transaction they have all year. And they count on getting that $2,000 or $2,500 or $3,000 refund. If it's smaller or it's non-existent, that's a bit of a hardship. Even if they had gotten 50 or $60 of pay period the whole year long, that money's been spent, and they're looking for, forward to the, to the refund. So what do these numbers tell us? The IRS last week said that uh, they've put out the statistics for the first week of tax filing season, and everybody jumped on them and said, oh my gosh, the average refund this year is down 8%. That's $170 on average. Um, they also said fewer people, 25% fewer people were going to get refunds. What is the, does that tell us anything, or, or is it too early to get a big picture? Too early to say. Okay. One of my colleagues uh, likens this to picking the World Series champion after the first game of the season. Okay. Um, so it's a little early to say what's going to happen for the entire filing season. But um, it is perhaps indicative to see some of the um, social media reactions, some of the um, news articles where people are actually coming forward and saying, I thought I was going to get a refund, and now it's smaller or, or non-existent. So your bottom line, Mark, is educate yourself. You actually may have paid lower taxes over the course of the year, even if you don't get a refund or even perhaps even have to pay in to the government. You still may be paying, at the end of the day, lower taxes. Go educate yourself on what that bottom line is. And the second thing is if you really want a refund, you can go to uh, your employer, change your W-4 and change your withholding. And the IRS has a withholding calculator on their website that will help you do that. So you don't get hit at the end of the year. Exactly. And before we let you go, Mark, which is uh, news you can use here, which is very helpful, we've heard about the IRS getting totally inundated because of the shutdown, their staffing yeah. shortages and the like. They've only been able to answer 48% of phone calls so far this year. What's your best advice for folks uh, putting on your accountant hat, uh, seeking answers on the new very complicated tax bill? Where should they go so, if not call the IRS? So I guess first they should go to the IRS website rather than call the IRS. There's a lot of information there, wealth of information, in order to, to figure out what your tax liability is and how to, to uh, navigate the system. I think uh, a second or third choice would be to call the IRS um, pretty far down <laughs> Or the call list. your accountant, I or guess. Or call your accountant would be ahead of call the IRS, yes. <laughs> or maybe they can find you at the Tax Policy Center and give you a call. Perhaps, yes. <laughs> great to see you, Mark Mazur, with Thanks the Tax Policy Center. Thanks Thank you so Thanks much, sir. Uh, great to have you with us today. Uh, shifting gears now, we are turning to a new uh, premiere of a new uh, podcast here at ABC News, one that focuses on the special counsel's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. Uh, as we know, Jordan, the, the investigation coming to a close, winding down. We've heard Seems from officials. Way. It does seem that way. Um, and uh, our Kira Phillips, uh, chief investigative reporter, uh, joins us now from New York. She has produced uh, a new podcast today that is launching called The Investigation. It's a weekly look at the Mueller probe uh, and all things investigation. Kira, uh, give us your top line on the the new episode. It's a really fascinating listen. Well, first of all, I'm going to pull both of you into the podcast. Is that all right with you? 
Yeah, yeah we're in. Okay, good. because you guys cover the White House, you know all the ins and outs, and that's the purpose of this, is taking our whole investigative team and folks like you guys that are at the White House and, and dealing with all the issues every day, in particular the, the Mueller investigation. We just felt like a lot of people ask us what's going to happen, what's going on, what are the details, when are we going to know something? And then this idea came up about the podcast, and we thought, okay, we're talking about this and covering this every single day. Let's do a podcast and have a conversation with newsmakers. And so the very first person we were able to uh, pull into our adventure, shall we say, John Dowd. As you know, guys, he was in charge of Trump's legal team, and he is the one that received those 40-plus questions from Robert Mueller at the very beginning and had to look through them, whittle them down, and decide what the president was going to answer and what he wasn't going to answer. And what he said in our podcast actually made news today when I asked him about the Mueller, Mueller investigation, what he thought it would reveal. He told me things like, it's terrible, it's a waste of time, it will say nothing. Uh, it's one of the greatest frauds this country has ever seen. Also saying we probably have better intelligence than they do, better intelligence than Robert Mueller and his investigators. So the interview was definitely uh, pretty provocative, guys. I actually understand we have a clip from the podcast. Let's go ahead and roll it, and then we'll talk about it. The question at the top of everyone's mind, the highly anticipated Mueller report, will it actually clear President Trump and members of his campaign? Here now, the man we've been talking about, our conversation with President Trump's former attorney, John Dowd. So, John, word is the Mueller report is going to drop within the next couple of weeks. I don't think there'll be a report. The rules of the department say no report. So what do you think's gonna what 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 do you think it will be? It will I just... don't know. I think I mean a declination is a declination. It's like a you know I mean I've written a declination or told my superiors or the attorney general what I've declined on. I did the internal investigation of the FBI, I declined probably twenty cases there. I just I just So you don't think the public's gonna see anything? You think it's forty million dollars, Mueller investigated it and that's it. No, but the rules of the department, just put yourself put yourself in the president's shoes. Let's say we investigate you guys, and it comes out, you're witness in the subject, you cooperate transparently, and we take all those facts and we say, you know, there's nothing here. The idea that you would take that information and make it public, you know, violates the whole concept of the grand jury. What's the grand jury for? To protect the innocent. Fascinating stuff here, really, really incredible. And we should say for the audience, just if, if you were listening along there, when, when John Dowd's talking about a declination, that's it's legal speak for declining to prosecute somebody. And so his po whole point was, Kira, as you know well, that by declining to prosecute, there's really nothing more to say. And, and that, both of us, and you heard Chris Vlasto's voice as well. Folks might be wondering, wait a minute, who's that other voice? It was John Dowd, it was me and Chris Vlasto, who is the head of our investigative uh, unit. We actually did the interview together. When he said, when John Dowd said declination, we both looked at each other <laughs> and like, what did he just say? And Chris said, that's a headline. I said, yeah, that's a headline. And sure enough, that's what everybody has been talking about. So, you know, our sources had have been telling us and I, I think you guys have been getting the same information as well that um, keep your expectations low that the word is there isn't going to be anything explosive with this within this report 
the other side is saying, actually, no, Mueller has really been taking his time. This has been an airtight investigation. We're talking $40 million. He's going to have something. And the bottom line well, is we really so don't know. Is, well, and so much of it is already played out in public. I mean, you've already had 34 indictments, and so many of, this, of those indictments have been huge bombshells in their own right individually. But when we're talking about collusion, and we're talking about the president of the United States and Russia and and Russian election meddling. I mean, we 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 don't have anything yet. And Kira, one really fascinating part of the conversation, John Dowd kind of explained to you why he was a leading advocate against the president sitting down with Robert Mueller, even when the president really wanted to. What, what did he give as a reason? You know, I, I asked him that question, Jordan. I said, why didn't you just have the president sit down face to face with, with Bob Mueller? And he gave me this look. It, it was actually kind of funny. I wish you could have been in the room with us like Kira. Uh, are you crazy? <laughs> we were talking about Donald Trump here. He said, I actually would have been okay with that if I could script his response face to face with Robert <laughs> Mueller. And so I think there definitely is a, um, uh, a feeling within all the attorneys that they have to, you know, Trump likes to ad lib, right? Trump likes to kind of say his own thing, tweet his own thing, do his own thing. And that always makes uh, lawyers very nervous. So uh, there, therein lies the reason the questions and answers were prepared and handed off to Robert Mueller the way they were through John Dowd. Well, Kira, kudos to you and the team. It's a great listen, a great interview with John Dowd to kick off the premiere of this new ABC News investigative podcast called The Investigation. It's a uh, going to be a fascinating series each week to start. Maybe we'll become daily if things really heat up uh, later, but go to Apple iTunes and favorite place you get your podcast and download it, star it, like it, listen, follow along. Uh, it is fantastic. Kira Phillips, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Uh, and uh, going overseas now to close out the day here in the briefing room, uh, we can continue to follow the developments in Venezuela, where that standoff now has stretched on for over a month between Nicolas Maduro, the president there, uh, and opposition leader Juan Guaido, who has the backing of the United States and dozens of Western countries as the, uh, as the effective ruler of Venezuela. Our Bruno Rober is in the region. He's actually been tracking uh, efforts to get humanitarian aid into the country and joins us live now from the Colombia-Venezuelan uh, border. Bruno, great to see you again, sir. Uh, you're actually following some protests this afternoon there in support of Guaido. Uh, bring us inside what's happening. Well, it's a small but latterly quite a boisterous protest by uh, Venezuelans, of which there are three million outside Venezuela, Venezuela, excuse me, in Colombia here. So there are many hundreds of thousands of people here who are desperate to get back to their country, but have been driven out by conditions in that country, which is why humanitarian aid has become such a key factor in the clash between Nicolas Maduro and Juan Guaido, because it's been weaponized in a sense. There is humanitarian aid sitting on the border, but it's been blocked by Maduro, who's saying he's not going to let it through because it's a form of intervention by the Americans. Now, just today, there was a demonstrations in Caracas by tens of thousands of opposition supporters, and Juan Guaido, Juan Guaido has announced that he plans to take the aid across the border on the 23rd of February, regardless. He has issued an order to the military to make this happen. Now, it's not clear what's actually going to happen, but clearly this situation that's been building for quite some time is going to reach a climax on the 23rd of February. I think he's going to essentially evoke people power and challenge the military to either obey his orders 
or the orders of the um, contested president, Nicolas Maduro. It's pretty going to be quite the standoff on the 23rd. Ten days from now, Bruno, we saw those pictures over the weekend of the military blocking the only highway from Colombia into Venezuela with the U.S. Uh, and Central American aid convoys standing by. You saw many of them uh, earlier today uh, uh, here on ABC News Live. Uh, before we let you go, I, I want to get your take on something that happened this afternoon here in Washington. We had the top Republican, Bruno, who chairs the Armed Services Committee, oversees a lot of the uh, American military effort in uh, Venezuela. He raised the prospect. He said, uh, "Quote: It may be to the point where the U.S. would have to intervene to help get that humanitarian aid uh, across the border." What's your take? What's your sense on things there on the ground? Are, would people there be supportive of U.S. military help to actually forcibly bring in oh, uh, uh, that humanitarian aid? I, I think so. Actually, there's a lot of anger here, a lot of resentment about. What they see is, I mean, obviously with people here, they're partisan, they're opposition supporters, so in a sense they would say that, but you really get a sense there's tremendous frustration at what people see as this sort of indifference to the suffering of the people and a desperate need for the aid. So I think they would be. But I think before that happens, I think we're going to see some sort of demonstration of people power. I mean, this is speculation on, on my part, but I think that we're trying to see a force of will here and challenge the army to actually oppress their own people. Now, after that, of course, it could escalate really quite badly. Who knows where this could go? So I think there's a feeling that this is really reaching quite a, an important point. It's one month on the 23rd of February. It'll be one month since Guaido was um, Juan Guaido, excuse me, was declared interim president. So it's a sort of a key turning point. I think we're going to see in the next week or so. Yeah, that's going to be a big moment for sure. Bruno Rober, uh, know you'll be there. Appreciate your reporting all day for us on ABC News Live. Thank you, sir. Stay safe down there. Uh, great to see you. And Jordan, uh, you have a kicker for us today. Yeah, to wrap things up today. A politics. A, a little politics to end your day. Uh, we know that the 2020 presidential campaigns already heated up, but so is the Republican, uh, so is the Senate race out in Arizona. Mark Kelly, the husband McCain, of Gabby. John Gim McCain's old seat. That's right, John McCain's old seat. Uh, he's going to take on Martha McSally in that, uh, for that race. He has announced uh, this former astronaut, obviously a huge advocate uh, for limiting guns. Uh, his wife, obviously a victim of gun violence, announcing he's going to get in the race. Take a listen. Oh, we don't have Partisanship and polarization and gerrymandering and corporate money have ruined our politics and it's divided us. I care about people. I care about the state of Arizona. I care about this nation. So because of that, I've decided that I'm launching a campaign for the United States Senate. We've seen this retreat from science and data and facts. And if we don't take these issues seriously, we can't solve these problems. We're gonna to need to bring people together from all parts of the state and all walks of life. So please join us. Damn the torpedoes. Full speed ahead. going to be a spirited race out there for Senate in 2020 in Arizona. Of course, it's going to be a battle of fighter pilots, if you will. Navy pilot <laughs> Mark right. Kelly going up against Martha McSally, uh, the Republican. She is also a former fighter pilot herself. So we'll be fun. We'll stay tuned on that. Great to have Jordan Phelps, White House reporter with here you. with us today. Thank you for watching us here in the briefing room on this very busy Tuesday. Hope you join us tomorrow, 3.30 Eastern time uh, here on ABC News Live. I'm Devin Dwyer in Washington. Thanks for watching.